You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast. My name is Andrew Mackay-Smith and this is my conversation with the bassist and frontwoman for Melbourne-based Shadow Queen. Her name is Robbie Zana. I really hope you enjoyed this conversation because I certainly enjoyed asking the questions and listening to Robbie's excellent responses. Let's go. Do you have to work a day job as well as performing Shadow Queen in your covers band? Certainly do. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I work at a school um, down the western suburbs and I sort of coordinate there and mentor bands. Um, Alex does the same thing. We, we work at the same school and um, he works at different schools around town. So, um, yeah, we mentor bands and do a little bit of teaching. So you can still do music. So that's that's the main thing is we can still get our music stuff in. What got you started performing performing music then? God, I probably did a fake microphone when I was a kid <laughs> <laughs> up at the TV like we probably all did, <laughs> pretending to be a rock star. Um, but, yeah, mum and dad gave me the opportunity because they never had it um, to play an instrument. So I did piano. It was all classical piano. I just played classical stuff up until I was in my early teens, um, yep. which was um, – I'm glad I did it, but I don't think I would have called myself a musician until I met some other, uh, until I met some guitarists that said, I said, well, what are you playing? You know, show me what you're playing so I can play along with you. Like, I don't know what I'm playing. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm trying to figure out what they're playing so that I reckon that was the first part of musicianship that I had to do. You know, I had to learn by ear and they'd pick up their guitar and learn something by ear. And I'm like, hey, where's the sheet music for it? <laughs> of course, they didn't have sheet music, so it was like learning by ear. It was uh, awakening for me. And I, I learned how to play a bit of guitar and a bit of bass back then just because I had to look at their hands every now and then if I couldn't work it out by ear and, um, yeah, figure out what they were playing because they couldn't tell me what they were playing. <laughs> yeah, gotcha, yeah. So what what inspired you though when you first started? Was there somebody like a you know the, the classic Van Halen story or Freddie Mercury story, the Axl Rose or whatever it might be? Was there somebody that when you were young you went, oh my god, that's it, I want to be like that? Oh god, I reckon flipping through because we had Mum and Dad were big into vinyl records, cool. so I used to love um, they had had stuff from Yes and Rush, Deep Purple. Um, when when I first saw the stuff that that Rush could do, so it was Giddy Lee, and so obviously He's ridiculous, um, isn't he? He's so good. Oh, absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. Um, God, playing bass, singing, and keys. Wow. <laughs> Hello. So um, I guess that's why I do all of that. <laughs> um, um, yeah, absolutely loved all of that. But of course, I'm, I'm a big fan of Janis Joplin, um, and you know, as the time went by, I've just I love stuff like Chris Cornell. Chris Cornell is just yeah. the most amazing singer, so was. Um, yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, Chris, yeah, have you heard the uh, conspiracy theories going around recently that he was murdered? I mean, I don't know yes. whether it's Facebook bullshit, but, you know, it's certainly out there. Yeah, I, I don't know whether to <laughs> get to, dwell oh. into that sort of stuff, but um, let it be what it is, you know. I just we wish that he was around, and I, I don't know whether it was bloody murder. <laughs> God, yeah, it seems a bit far fetched. As soon as anybody dies, apparently before their time, conspiracy theories spring up. It's the nature of the clickbait thing we've got on the internet, really, isn't it? Of course, it's the nature of social media. They have to do something. <laughs> no, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. 
<laughs> so you've got a very broad and informative descriptor of the band on your Facebook page that people can check out. But in your own words, tell us all about Shadow Queen. Wow. Okay, in my own words. Oh, <laughs> um, so I guess we've got a lot of eclectic musical influences between the three of us. Um, so, oh God, everything from Queens of the Stone Age to Royal Blood, love Royal Blood, um, Foo Fighters, Soundgarden, Led Zeppelin, oh, all the <laughs> classics that you can think of. Uh, and I think you can hear that in, in our music. Uh, obviously you wouldn't say, oh yeah, that's Queen of the Stone Age or anything like that, but um, you would definitely say that we have influences which is great that we don't actually sound like one of those particular bands. Um, I I love that um, I can belt it out as a vocalist and, um, uh, and and love writing about different things. I think from a lyrical perspective, um, again, we have diverse sort of subject matters, <laughs> anything from science fiction to, God, fantasy, I guess fairy tales, maybe a sour sort of fairy tale. Um, historic sort of stuff and a little bit of philosophy, I guess you could say. Nice. Um, yeah. So where do you, haven't I? <laughs> no, that's great. And where, but where do you draw the, the lyrical? So you, I take it you write the, the lyrics. Um, yes. Yeah. So where do you get the, the subject matter from? I mean, you're, are you a prolific reader or we mentioned social media earlier? I mean, there's so much rich content available there to draw inspiration from good and bad. Um, uh, yes. But yes. Where, where do you get your content ideas from? Oh, let's see. Oh, one of my favourite. I, I probably like a lot of fantasy stuff. I, I love reading um, Raymond E. Feist. <laughs> that was like that. That were my classic books grow, growing up as a kid, and um, like The Magician. And yeah, I, I like that sort of stuff. And and yeah, I probably take um, some topics from from books that I read, um, and also. I guess reality, bit of uh, life content there with with a few fantasies involved. Yeah, cool. um, yeah that, I, I guess that that would be the main topics that that I would work around. I guess anything that could also connect to audience as well. Not that I write for other people, but um, you, you end up writing for other people because you want them to listen to your music. So yeah, um, for sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know. You mentioned um, Queens of the Stone Age before and Led Zeppelin, and I think I must have hit it on the, the nail on the head, so to speak, because the only other bands that I can think, uh, well, there's a few other bands you'd mentioned, but I also picked up Wolf Mother, even Blue Cheer, and I'm going to ask you a question about the baby animals, because you guys have got a bit of a baby animals vibe going on, which I think is wonderful, because I think the relationship that you've got with your guitarist Simon is very reminiscent to the relationship Susie DeMarchi has with uh, Dave Leslie, the excellent guitarist in the baby animals. Um, but... I'll sort of backtrack a little bit. Living Madness, tell us all about the album and what's your take, though, on what the response has been like? How's it been received by punters? I think we've had great reception. Um, everything from our launch, which uh, was in Melbourne back in September, um, to, you know, following it up through to interstate gigs like Adelaide and our coming, our upcoming gig over in Brizzy. So, nice. um, I'll have to go to that one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Please do. Yeah, yeah. The more the merrier. Where are you playing? Uh, Sorry, where are you, are you playing at the Globe or um, somewhere else? 
Oh, we were looking at the Globe. Um, no, but this is at the Crowbar. Oh, it's nice. Down. Yeah, it's a good venue. Yeah, you'll, you'll enjoy it there. I think, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, we're really looking forward to that. And we've got a couple of other bands on board. Uh, one of them is doing their EP launch. I'll do a shout-out for Ella Vice. So, yeah, it'll be – I'm pretty stoked that we're doing interstate gigs. Uh, we've – we, we did it for our, our debut album as well, uh, and we probably got more reception overseas for our first de- debut. Um, so we're hoping to also take uh, Living Madness, uh, this, this second album, overseas as well after we, we do some more interstate gigs and promote it in Australia. So, hmm. Cool. Now, I mentioned uh, Susie DiMarchi before. Is she an influence over you in any way? Oh God, yes! I can't believe that I missed her before when we were speaking about influences. Yeah, absolutely. Like Susie's voice is is raunchy, rocky, yet yes. um, with different tonalities. She can be so sweet in her her tone as well. Yeah, beautiful voice. Um, and and you know they they've also done some stuff um, not that long ago, and they're trying to promote their stuff uh, around Australia and. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I saw them um, at a Telstra gig. They're doing the on the corporate scene. So um, I saw them at a, a Telstra corporate gig down in Melbourne a couple of years back. And my God, I, I didn't. I, the first time I'd ever seen them actually, but I sort of was kicking myself that I hadn't sort of made my way out beforehand. Um, I was too young in the nineties to go to pubs and clubs when they were at their, you know, commercial peak, so to speak. But uh, what a wonderful lead singer she is, and uh, that relationship she's got with Dave, as I said, it does remind me of the, what I've seen of you guys, so the YouTube videos and some of the videos you've got on your Facebook page. You, yourself and Simon have a similar relationship, so what's it like rocking and grooving out up there? Because I've got to pay you a compliment. I'm a bass player too, but I really admire the way you're able to sing the way you do and play bass. Oh, thank you. Yeah, a few people have said, oh, how do you sing that and play that at the same time? Like, oh, oh. Yeah, it's, oh, it's starting to I mean, it's, quite, yeah. quite natural. So, um, yeah, well, Simon and I have known each other for quite a while now. Um, we've got a bit of a history with each other, even before Alex came along. Um, Alex and I, uh, Alex sort of uh, came along just in time for our uh, first debut album um, around the 2010 sort of mark when we started writing together. Uh, but Simon and I were together back when I didn't even um, play bass. So I think I was a keyboard player and saxophone player back then. <laughs> um, but we were actually married at one stage. During our first um, album, we were married and divorced. <laughs> so, so, yeah, wow. we, we, okay. we do a bit of a connection <laughs> there and a um, bit of a story. But, yeah, we're, we're really well connected. We're, we're great friends. Um, and for us to obviously survive a marriage and a divorce <laughs> and we're still here in the same band, we really believe in our music and more than words that can explain, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's an, an incredible story. Like, only what you're comfortable sharing, but what's the dynamic between you guys? What was the dynamic like between you guys when you were trying to be creative in, in the musical sense and going through a divorce? Um somehow we've just always managed to be friends. <laughs> I can't explain it. Yeah, people are always uh, pretty surprised when I say, yeah, he's, he's the ex. <laughs> um, but uh, I guess we don't see each other that way. Um, yeah, 
it's almost like we've forgotten about that. Um, <laughs> Great not, story, yeah. Not in a bad way or anything. Um, I guess we, we just knew that we were better off as friends. And uh, we, yep. we came together because of music. And I guess when you spend so much time with someone, um, writing music, creating music, um, uh, yeah, I guess you can mix different feelings <laughs> for each other. Yeah. So, um yeah, but we're, we're definitely dynamic personalities in the band. Um, it's, but it's pretty smooth sailing. Like I hear lots of bands have their ups and downs. We're sure we have ups and downs, uh, with the creative because we're all pretty stubborn. <laughs> so we all go, no, no, we've all got to love it. So we throw a lot of ideas out the door. Let me tell you, my God. Um, but, uh, I think, yeah, we get along pretty well. <laughs> I think it's, you know, a lot of emotional maturity there between the two of you, clearly. But, uh, yeah, it's this great story that you've got that connection on stage and you realize that's where the relationship works best and on stage and through creative pursuits rather than, you know, in a personal sense. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, oh, God, we've had so much fun um, even doing video clips. Um, I don't know if you've been online to check out our video clips for Living Madness. We've done three of them so far. And because we love doing them so much, I think we're going to do a couple more. Um, we, yeah, the, the first one that we released was the end of last year. It was Waiting on You. Um, and yep. the start of this year, it was Unconditional. And then our last single was Open Your Eyes. So, wow. Um, I don't know if you could tell, but, oh, the video because we, we were just like crying with laughter. So, um, the, the fun process. And again, even in the studio when we were recording the album, um, especially the last in when we were recording at Light, Lighting Hill, uh, with Ricky Ray at the studio there, it, which was beautiful scenery. Um, we, yeah, you just get even closer every single time, you know, you do another song, another creative piece. So, mm. yeah. Now, a bit of a different question for you. Um, how much pressure do you feel to relocate elsewhere? Uh, for example, London or LA, because you're pretty much in the you're in the place to be in terms of Australian music, aren't you? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think Melbourne's pretty rocking, but you know, uh, nothing against the other <laughs> state gigs. You know, where we we're really keen on doing our um, interstate gigs, but. As I mentioned before, we'd really love to take this overseas. We did release our first album um, with a French label. So I guess, you know, um, we, we had a re- some really good Europe reviews and got into some really um, good magazines over there like Classic Rock Mag, Fireworks. Um, I think we would... We wouldn't mind relocating. Uh, we, we definitely would do it for the band, I guess, the opportunities have to come up and we have to make those opportunities. Um, France, UK, Germany. Um, yeah. Would love to travel and do gigs there, maybe even relocate permanently. Who knows? Um, definitely open minded for that, all of us. Yeah. France is an unsung contributor to the world of rock and roll and metal. Actually, I get, I've, with my podcast series, I've got a substantial amount of people from France and it's always usually Germany that gets the focus, Germany and England. But mate, the French are the French are out there with it. There's a lot of creative people there. I think I get more 
requests to be interviewed from French bands than from any other nationality. Wow. You know, that's... That, so that does not surprise me at all that you're finding success with a French label. Yeah. Well, we can tell even with our iTunes, like, you know, who, who buys it and from what country. And, yeah, they, they seem to be goers with the music. They love it. <laughs> yeah. There's, there seems to be a connection with their love of Australian music. Now, a good example there is Tina Arena's had fantastic success uh, in France. You know, so France might be one of those places where you could go and you could use it as a launch pad for the rest of Europe. Definitely would love to tap into that, yes. Right. So what's your take? And I asked this question of all of the Australian artists that I interview. What's your take on the Australian music industry? So I asked that question with a focus on the sort of music that you're doing. How much, how much opportunity for success do you think there is if you stay in Australia? Oh, wow. I don't want to be pessimistic with this response. <laughs> no, it's all good. It's, I, know, I think I know where you're going to head with it and you're going to be dead on. Well, you know, I keep on reading that rock is dead, <laughs> and, um, mm. uh, which is which I, I don't believe it. I just don't believe it. Um, you know, I, I still see um, bands coming out, but I, I see a lot of the old bands being revamped rather than um, the new bands getting a chance to, to come out into the market. I don't see enough of that. We, uh, I believe the Australian market had that a lot in the 90s and the early 2000s, but not so much now, um, which is a shame. Uh, I believe there's room for it. Uh, I think the next generation um, have been queued into a lot of TV shows that represent a lot of pop. Yes, big time, yep. So, so – I guess some of the rock has been forgotten in, in that respect. Um, but as they grow older and the influence from their parents, um, yeah, they might come around to, to um, going out to pubs and, and experiencing and feeling out bands more. And I think that's where they start uh, getting interested in more of the rock style um, when, when they're introduced to the pub scene. Yeah. So I read with interest, and this is about the America, the North American music scene, specifically the USA. Eddie Trunk, who I think is fantastic, he, he tweeted recently that it was a disgrace today that there was not a single rock act, rock act represented as either a nominate, nominee, and I don't want to misquote him here, but I think this is what he said, a nominee or the obviously then a recipient of an award at the American Music Awards that happened today. So there's this almost... I don't want to use a word like prejudice, but I think you know where I'm headed. There's almost this bias against people who are playing rock and roll. But the thing is, rock music fans are in every corner of the globe. And I know that because I host a rock and metal-focused podcast. And my listeners are in Iran, Saudi Arabia. Of course, they're in South America, Europe, Australia, North America. They're all over the place. I couldn't say that they're focused exclusively in any one area. But there seems to be this bias, even internationally, against rock and roll. And my theory on it might be that we just have this almost this obsession with the new so I, I don't know whether you, I won't ask a lady her age but I remember in the late 90s of course it said rock is dead electronic is going to be the new thing you know yeah. and bands like the prodigy all, all good bands chemical brothers and prodigy were you know good artists or DJs or whatever they refer to themselves as being but of course rock didn't go away it just went underground for a period of time yeah um yeah. but it doesn't mean that there's very limited avenues uh, or pathways in Australia for a wonderful band such as yourself. So it was very interesting to hear that you mentioned um, 
you know, I, I'll name it, I won't get you to name it, but The Voice and Australian Idol and all those sort of things, they have the same impact on, on other countries as well. I've actually yeah. had a singer from The Voice in a covers band and the amount of conversations that I had to have with her about what it took to be a working musician was incredible. There just was this assumption that things happened. And I think just to pro- probably ask for your comment on, you know, you said, I, I won't quote you directly, but you said something along the lines of, you know, they, uh, they're conditioned, uh, they've been conditioned differently than what we were because we didn't grow up. Our, our opinions and the like, if you like, were more or less formed by the time The Voice and Australian Idol came along. But their opinions are being formed through these programs, aren't they? And they're looking for these big spotlights and this big success. They're not looking to do the hard graft, you know, the a long way to the top if you want to rock and roll sort of thing. Yeah, well, the new generation is they want everything quick. <laughs> I mean, I know myself now. It's like my computer's taking time to load up an extra few seconds. <laughs> What? What's going on? And so, um, yeah, it's the, I want it now. <laughs> and I guess, um, the voice can, and, and shows like that can be seen as, I want a quick fix. I want to, I want to get famous now. <laughs> I, I couldn't even think of going on a show like that. I just, um, in, in regards to, and I don't think I'm bad vocally. <laughs> Um, so no, you're a very good vocalist. I'll tell the listeners that right now. You're an excellent vocalist. You're a great bass player and an excellent vocalist. There's very few out there like you. And I, yeah, I, I would just, uh, I thrive at, at seeing musicians and, and seeing them grow. And I, I guess it's one way to be exposed, definitely. Um, but not for me. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I'm, I'm, Hoping others will, will, will join me. <laughs> well, I had very limited association with, oh God, his name was on the tip of my tongue, but he was in a band called Masonia and then he went on to win The Voice. Um, what was his name? Oh my God. I'm going to make this point redundant now because I can't remember the guy's name, but he went on to win The Voice. He was the rock guy. He did the cover of Summer of 69 and a few other things oh, about right. five or six years ago. Uh, keep on thinking his name's Zadro. I can't, I don't know, I've got a mental blank, but I was in a band called Velveteen and the drum, we shared drummers with a band called Masonia and I had limited interactions with him in the rehearsal space that we used to frequent and, um, he was very down to earth and very chilled. He was the guy that ended up, remember, I don't know if you remember the story, but I'll actually, after, when I post the radio to radio and do the podcast, I'll actually research the guy's name and I'll put in afterwards who I'm talking about. But do you remember, do you remember the bloke who went and lived in a cave for a bit and then, a couple of years ago was busted on at weapons and drugs charges. Yeah, yeah. That guy. I can't remember his name though, I'm sorry, but yeah. Well, I I knew him prior, like I didn't know him intimately, but you would never have predicted that his life was going to end up that way. You know, so my point is, is that, is that these young people who get thrust into the limelight, and he had Ronan Keating as a mentor, um, you know, you get thrust into the limelight and there are things that we just don't even know exist that they've got to deal with. Yeah. And it's very yeah. hard. And which brings me to my next question, actually, because uh, I think it's a really good way to segue into the next question. So if you could achieve the success you want, what does that look like? Well, um, quit my daytime job and only write for Shadow Queen. <laughs> um, tour and keep touring and keep writing. I just want to keep doing album after album and keep writing music. I, I just love it. And... I think the boys would say the same thing. Simon and Alex would, would love to do the same. Um, definitely tour more around Australia as well as overseas. Um, 
it's not out of the question to to definitely up and move and just keep on moving. Um, yeah, I've, I think I've lived my life for music um, and would keep doing that. And I hope the future holds that. Yeah, good on you. I sure remember the guy's name now, Altian Childs. There you go. It was on the tip of my tongue. Altian Jurek. There we go. Yeah, that was his, that was his name when I knew him, Altian Jurek, but he's obviously got the stage name, which includes Childs now. But sorry, I digress. I just wanted to put it in there. <laughs> there are definitely different ways of, of, you know, I guess starring in the limelight and, um, reaching your, your goals. Yeah. But. So how do you how do you keep it together with I mean you you've got the ideal situation in my view because there's only three of you um you know I'm in a situation now where the band I'm in want to recruit um an extra two members um and I'm basically saying let's just keep it to four but, but they want to bring five and it's yeah. like children it multiplies so five is like having 25 you know what I mean it's like you got all these different you got all these different emotions that you've got to deal with even in a cover band you know but in a band where with all due respect you know there's not the riches of financial reward or even an, even a um well there is potentially but right now and um you know you're not getting uh, you know a regular source of income from it how do you guys excuse my language away i frame it here but how do you guys keep your shit together as a band and not murder each other in the rehearsal room or what have you uh well we don't always come up with ideas in the rehearsal room sometimes it's i guess um, pinging it over to each other through Dropbox and sharing it beforehand and then nutting it out in the studio. We have many different sorts of writing processes, but um, I guess um, what I said before, uh, we have to all love whatever we create. So we don't have anything half-assed, <laughs> um, which I, I believe shows in our album, in our music. Um it, every single song is, is something that, that, um, three of us have definitely come to agreement that, that we love. Uh, for us to add a fourth or fifth person, oh God, no, I don't think we could do oh that. Oh God, yeah, I'm, I'm dreading it to be honest with you. I'm sure they're lovely people that are looking at, you know, I leave, I leave the recruitment up to the drummer actually, and I just sort of have an opinion, but my opinion's fixed. Less is more. <laughs> Absolutely. But it's not just the writing process. It's also just having busy lives and uh, getting together. Um, and let's face it, it's not all about writing. Um, I, I wish it was, um, but there are so many things in play that you have to do behind the scenes, um, working out what sort of artwork you want. Oh, God, getting to an agreement <laughs> of what artwork you want. Um, mm, God, yeah. Actually, I've got to compliment you on that. I love the artwork. Whose idea was that? Oh, I think it was Alex's idea. So uh, our drummer boy, he's full of ideas and concepts. Um, yeah, it, God, it, more of that that ink ink print of like, oh, what sort of picture do you see um, here on this on this cover? Um, so it's more of that inquisitive and what you would get, I guess, when you go to a psychologist, what do you see in this picture? So, um, that was the idea, I guess, of the front cover of Living Madness. Um, and not only that, it's, it's been a hectic ride. It's always a hectic ride, I think. Um, we probably think that, and, and I'm sure that Every band experiences it and everything from trying to get artwork together and you think that it's going to be ready for next week and it drags out. <laughs> it's always some yeah. sort of battle. It's always that something, yeah. 
<laughs> then it's photos. Oh no. Oh, something's gone wrong on this night. We've got to do it a different night. Oh, the venue. <laughs> and it's, yeah, everything's drawn back and, um, lots of hurdles. <laughs> lots yeah. of hurdles. Sounds like you've got a very good, um, outlook on things though. You're very, uh, measured. You know, you're sort of just taking it all in your stride. And, and, uh, I think when you do that, when you don't sweat the small stuff, so to speak, and you, you just sort of get on with the business of being in a band and just doing your thing, then you open yourself up for the opportunity for success rather than focusing on every little detail. And I'm sure you've been in a band with somebody that just wants to focus on all of the negatives, but it sounds like you're a very positive person, got a great outlook on life, not just with the bands, but in general. And I think for somebody like yourself, success is bound to happen. It's just a case of when it happens. God, I hope it's soon. <laughs> I want to quit my daytime job. <laughs> It'd be nice, wouldn't it? Yeah. Hey, yeah, I'm striving for a, for a goal. So um, I guess that's the, the positive outlook. You just keep on wanting, wanting that goal. And we've got a common goal. And, yeah, that's why the three of us are gelling well. Yeah, cool. Well, so you can hear it, you know, you know, I mean, you can, you can hear it. I interviewed, um, local Sunshine Coast band, uh, near me, um, Fragile Animal. Same thing going on with those guys there. I think you can actually hear when a band's got it together. And, um, you know, I want to ask, what I want to do now though, I've got 10 questions and I asked the guys in Fragile Animals the same 10 questions. So have you got time for that? Are we cool if we just, they're 10 questions. Yeah. They're sort of, you know, they're not yes or no, but they're, I'll give you an example. The first question that I've got is right now, who's your favorite band or artist? Royal Blood. <laughs> the sound that they can produce as a two-piece is phenomenal. Um, obviously, I know that there's, you know, layered sounds and everything, but, um, yeah, just just love their ideas and the whole concept of having two people. Uh, just amazing. Yeah. Sweet. What about your favourite album? Favourite album? Wow. I can't, oh, I can't think of a favourite album. What about one that influenced you when you were younger, when you were still sort of forming ideas about what sort of a musician you wanted to be? Wow. I guess as an artist, um, well, different eras of my life. Uh, let's see. Uh, you know, I, I could probably easily say, um, God, Soundgarden at one stage. Hmm. Yeah. Big influence in my life. Which album would that be? Is that Bad Motor Finger or Super Unknown or the one after that? I can't remember the name. Pretty Noose, I think that was called, wasn't it? Oh, God, I, I can't pick a favourite. <laughs> how, how bad is that? No, it um, makes sense. It's just a classic band. They're, all of their albums, I don't think there's a dud in there, is there? Yeah, no, there's there's no duds. I guess I do like King Animal. That uh, Yeah, yeah, King Animal. That, yeah, that... that that's probably my favourite that I can think of now. I look back. Sweet. Okay, and I, I think I know what the answer to this one's going to be as well. But if you could attend any gig at any time in history, who would you watch and why? Has to be Rush. <laughs> uh, I never got a chance, obviously, uh, to see them, and just to see a, a, another three-piece band, um, and. Giddy Lee, you know, smashing out his vocals like that and playing bass and Neil Pert on the drums, just phenomenal. And the lyric content uh, of their songs are amazing. And I yeah. would have loved to have seen that live. Yeah. Just on um, bass playing, I meant to ask you earlier, but what's the, um, so I'm not really that techie, but I do like to ask this question when I get an opportunity to talk to a bass player. 
What sort of gear do you use? Like what's the bass you use and what sort of on-stage amplification do you lug around with you? Yeah. Well, stupid me has <laughs> some of the biggest gear that you could probably cart around. <laughs> so I, I've got an Ampeg rig. It's a fridge. Oh, the 8x10. <laughs> yep, the classic 8x10. Yep. Yeah. The, the box is as tall as I am. <laughs> so, um, and I, my head is so heavy. My God, because it's valve. Um, yeah, but I, I love the sound that it produces. And I've got some, uh, an old school bass. It's a, it's a 70s bass. Uh, it's a P bass. In fact, it's a, a 73 model. And yeah, I just love my P bass. It's, um, it just sounds so, meat and potato <laughs> it's so raw and big sounding yeah and which i think we need for a three-piece yeah i agree i can totally understand given the nature of your music why you need an eight by ten on stage it's not like four by ten wouldn't do you any justice i don't think and it's really interesting to hear that you're using a 73 so that's a real one from 73 is it it's not a reissue Correct. yeah yeah how did you get a, a hold of that if you don't mind me asking is that a is that something that your parents had or just... No, I wish, right? Um, I got um, back when I went to uni. I, I guess I was now I was a keyboard player back then, and um, I helped out with all of the new techie sort of stuff and, and get their recording gear. And um, because I helped set up all of their computers, they said, "Oh, you've got first dibs at our second hand sale." And, um, I got the bass for such a cheap price and as well as this old school keyboard. Um, and I never even played bass back then, but I, I knew the value of it. I just thought, Oh, one day I might play bass. You never know. Yeah. And, um, back just before we, um, d- decided to do the debut album. In fact, Shadow Queen was supposed to be a four piece. Um, but we ended up being a three piece because I couldn't, we couldn't find a bass player, mm. um, that we gelled with. And I decided to record the bass. It was really weird. We did some cover gigs, um, Simon and myself. And one night I just said, you know what? I'm going to, um, get the bass on tonight. I've got this awesome bass sitting in the cupboard. Instead of playing acoustic guitar tonight, I'll, I'll, um, play the bass. And he's going, what? You don't know the bass lines. I said, oh, I know them on keyboard. It'll be close enough. So, mm. um, I got the bass out and, and end of story. I've, I've been strapping that bass on ever since then. And I, I thought I wasn't a good enough player, um, as a bass player when, I, when we found Alex, because he is just a phenomenal, um, drummer and same with Simon. I thought that I would let down the team. And I guess that's why we pursued trying to find a bass player um so we could be a four piece but after auditioning a few people um uh, you know we alex said well, why don't you just why don't you play bass <laughs> and i go yeah sure okay if if you guys are okay with me playing bass i would absolutely love to i was stoked so um i i absolutely love playing bass but i just never thought that i was good enough and obviously i've grown with simon and alex and um, I, I think I've become a proficient player now. Um, and I guess I was good enough to record the first album too. So Fantastic. Yeah. No, good on you. I think if you could peer into the inner workings of the cosmos, you were destined to have that bass actually because it is a bass befitting of your wonderful stage presence and your style. Um, and I, I do talk to people about this a little bit actually. I, I play music man basses because I'm a bit of a funk and jazz guy at heart. Oh. Um, 
but I tell you what, I recently um, picked up my bass, my Music Man Sterling, which I've had for about 17 or 18 years, which is my workhorse, my four-string, um, and the truss rod, snapped, truss rod has snapped in it. So I've got to get a, a neck from uh, proprietary stock neck, so I've got to send my neck over to the States. Well, actually, they've been very nice about it, and they're sending me a neck, but at the same time, I've got to send my neck back. Um so it's it's a bit of a downer, but it's okay. It lets me get. I've got four frontline instruments. I've got two five strings. One's a Sterling. One's a Stingray. Both Music Man, of course, and two four string, two four strings. One's a Sterling and one's a Stingray as well. Just feels odd to me not having, you know, a bit probably the way you feel about your P bass is the way that I feel about. I call it my black smart black sparkle model because it's the um or the universe. It's got that those purple and gold flecks through black um black paintwork. Um, but I'll get it back pretty soon. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So no, that's cool. Yeah, no, it's um as I say, I think you were destined to have that base, and um, yeah, I mean it's bloody rare, not just a rare find, but a heck of a find as well. A lot of those things have been dinged up from back in those days. So did it take much to get it up to gig standard? No, no, because not many people had played it. I, I couldn't believe it. Oh look, I've beaten it up a bit. <laughs> it's yeah, it's got a few war scars. Um, but it's been personalised. That's the way I like to refer to it. Absolutely, <laughs> been personalised. Yeah, I've got a few faces. Uh, but I just, uh, I always go back to that one. And I've set it up especially for Shadow Queen. So it is a four string, but I've, I've done something unusual to it. I've got a couple of drop tuning. Um, I, I do the... The hip shot? Do you put yeah, the... Yeah, well, I, I do the I go same. I A to D as well as I go A to B. <laughs> so, um, yeah, my A string, I change it to a B. And I, I love my octave pedals. So I, I think with my five strings that I have, um, I I think it sounds a little bit too, oh, I don't know, flabby. Yeah, I guess you could yeah. describe. Yeah, they're not as tight, are they? I've, I've, I've struggled with five strings over the years, actually, and don't prefer them to four strings, I can tell you. Four strings, I can, I'm can. i a fingerstyle bass player, and I find it a lot, a lot more dexterous on a four string than I am with a five. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Um it just feels so comfy, and I, I love all the different sorts of tunings. I, I love getting my head around it, yeah. And it suits it suits our band. Oh, fantastic! Yeah. All right, um, I'll ask the next question, which is, uh, and again, I think I might know the answer to this one. But if you could resurrect a fallen icon, who would it be, and why? A fallen nightclub. Oh, a fallen icon. Sorry. Oh, icon. Right. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, what? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> What kind of question is that? <laughs> Where are we headed with this questioning? Fallen <laughs> icon. Well, uh, again, uh, I, I think I mentioned him before, Chris Cornell. Yeah, of course. I, I'd feel like him. Yep. Yeah. Uh, well, God, just uh, I'd love to just interview him, <laughs> just pick his brains and would love to hear him sing again. Yeah. Yeah, famously very nice guy to his fans too. He was the sort of bloke that had time and... Even though he was of megastar status, he uh, and instantly recognisable. That's the other thing. So he couldn't go down to the shops and buy his bloody cocoa pops and milk without getting recognised. He was yeah. always. There's no stories out there about him being a prick. Put it that way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which you know is, is is what you hear about most uh, lead singers, I guess. <laughs> um, there's always some sort of nastiness that that you hear, and I'm like, going, really? Were they like that? <laughs> um, but yeah, Chris Cornell. Well. Uh, anything to be in, in in the same room with him, I guess, and just to have that conversation. And, uh, yeah, he, he sounds like he was such a down-to-earth guy. Yeah, yeah. it is a shame. I, I always, as, as a father with two daughters, I always feel for the kids, you know that. Um, 
I would never question somebody's decision to move on that way, but yeah, I mean, it must be a nightmare for the kids that are left behind. Yeah, yeah, and all the controversial stuff that's that's in the media—that that's the whole thing. It keeps on hurting them. Yeah, it's all just bullshit. I wish they just, you know, they talk about flogging a dead horse, you know what I mean, and giving up the ghost, and they just need to do that and let the family be to grieve, really, you know. So on that note, this next question, I think the guys in Fragile Animals thought, what are you doing asking this this question for? But I do like to get the next two questions. I do like to ask them, and you can give me as much detail as you want or as little detail as you want, really. But what's a gig that you've been to that you were really disappointed in? And I always go first on this one here to to give you an example. Okay, so in 1996, I wasn't that big a fan of the band, but I went and saw the Smashing Pumpkins, and they were shit. And... I thought I'd, I still to this day don't really understand the hype around the Smashing Pumpkins. Um, I mean, Billy Corgan's a tremendously talented individual, but the band themselves, I think they played about eight or nine tracks at that gig and then jammed for the rest of it. Um, but anyway, over to you. What's what's a gig that you've been to that was disappointing? Wow. Okay. Um, I remember going to see the Tea Party. Um, and sorry, it wasn't Tea Party. Let me correct that. It was Jeff Martin. Um, uh, from the tea party and he was doing um, a bit of acoustic stuff and I guess he must have been really disappointed with the sound that he was getting. He was very disappointed with his tech crew and, yeah, he just went off his head. <laughs> I just thought, oh, you know what, it's kind of inappropriate. I'm here to see you, dude. I really want to really enjoy the music. Um, but, yeah, it was kind of disappointing to see his reaction and his attitude. So, yes, yeah. not the first story I've heard about um, about him actually, because I've got mates who live in Perth who are musicians, and I think he still lives in Perth. He moved over there about ten, fifteen years ago or so. Um, yeah. yeah, there's a few stories doing the rounds. I won't talk shit, but yeah, there's a few stories going around that he can be rather a difficult individual to work with. Well, well, the, you know, I admire him so much. Still, his <laughs> music is is fantastic. So I. Yeah, I was kind of disappointed. <laughs> oh, well. And on that yeah. note, what's what's an album that you've purchased um, that let you down? And I'll go first again, or, you know, in terms of the, the excitement levels and the disappointment. I can never go past Metallica when they released Load back in 1996 again. There's that year again. I just got it, and I thought, what the hell's going on here? I thought it was – I knew I'd bought the right album because it sounded like Metallica kind of, but it was so different from all of their other albums. It sounded like um, like southern country blues rock shit like Bob Seger or something, and I thought, I'm, I'm a metal guy back then anyway. I don't want to listen to this stuff. But what's an album that's disappointed you? I can't, can't think of an album that's disappointed me. Or maybe I've thrown it away <laughs> since then. Um, oh, God. I'm still thinking. I'm so sorry. I really can't answer that, that question. No, it's all good. You don't, it doesn't even have to be an answer, really. It's just, um, yeah, I like to get a bit of insight from, from musicians and artists on, on that one there. And I do like to ask Australian artists this one here because, you know, we, uh, we tended to get the great big rock tours every once in a while, sort of every two years, a big banded tour, and we were coming through. Nowadays, they're coming through almost every other week. But back when the music industry was still an industry, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. I sometimes feel like we were treated with a bit of disdain. We were either the first on a world tour or were the last. So either way, they were, they were tired if it was the last, then I think that's what was going on with the Smashing Pumpkins, or if it's the first, they get all the bugs out of their um, setup. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know, so. I'm going to go back to, to that question. What album would I be disappointed with? Um, 
God. I'm guessing this sounds really bad because I absolutely love them like so much. And that's Royal Blood. I was a little disappointed with their, their recent album. Um, just because I, I was expecting something different, but it's not that it was bad. <laughs> um, I, I guess I wanted something like their first album a little bit more raw. Yeah. Yep. Um, where this time, you know, that they had so many layers, you know, it sounded like they were a full band instead of just a two piece. So. Yes. Yeah. Look, that does happen, doesn't it? Um, yeah, yeah. As soon as they start sort of getting a bit too experimental and, you know, overtly creative in the studio, that's, yeah. I've always believed you've got to sort of write songs in a rehearsal room and get them sorted there first before you go in because you can't lose the essence of what the song's all about. You know, yeah. well, that'd be um, my view, but I understand. I understand you've got to move on. That's, I think it's really cool that, that bands grow and they keep on uh, writing differently, but I think it was too soon. I wanted more. I wanted more of the, like the, the, the first album. So yeah. No, oh, cool. Yeah. All right. Um, the next question is name a song that you think sums you up nicely. It could be, you know, it can be a classical number. I don't know. Anything. A song that sums me up. Yeah. Could wow. be a song title or the lyrics in a song. Um, <laughs> I've never had such a question. <laughs> Glad to be the first. I guess, you know, ACDC is coming to mind at the moment. Um, just because, well, the whole M Malcolm Young thing. Yeah. Um, God bless you. Yep. I, I went through a few ACDC songs on on the weekend. Just, I guess, I was overly drained of ACDC on on the weekend. I would say, Highway to Hell. <laughs> <laughs> Great choice. Yeah. Mine's um, on a similar note. Mine would be Long Way to the Top if you want to rock and roll. Because um, that's exactly what it is. <laughs> We're all trying. It, it is, yeah. But that whole, the first line of Highway to Hell, you know, the living easy, living free. Yeah. So um, not, not that I hope that I'm going to hell or anything. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's all about playing in a rock and roll band. <laughs> it is indeed, yeah. No, that's right. Now, the next two questions I tend to roll up into one. Um and this gives uh, the listeners a bit of an insight into your psyche, I believe. So, do UFOs exist? And do you have you had a contact or any sort of contact with UFOs? And what about the supernatural and the paranormal? Do they exist? And have you had any interactions? Right. Oh, see, the the whole. Um, I guess my from again the lyrical perspective. <laughs> yep. Right with uh, Shadow Queen, I write a little bit about this <laughs> and cool. astronomy and and science fiction and sure i think that there is something out there I, I i would hate to believe that we're the only ones in the universe um we've we're just a spectacular planet <laughs> and i think that there has to be something else out there and okay have i had contact god this sounds weird um i went on a tour with a band to the middle east and we were in Dubai, or I think it was more, it was on the way to Abu, Abu Dhabi. Yep. And uh, I got to sleep out in the desert. And I could have swore I saw this light shoot from one side, one side of the sky to the other. And I'm like going, look, look. And I was like yelling out, Simon was there, in fact. Um, and we were looking at this this light, this beam of light just I don't know, just 
go totally from one side of the sky to the other. And I'm like, going, that was not a plane. That was not a shooting star. Um, yeah. Going it, back and forth or did it just go one direction? It, it, no, no, it did go back and forth and zigzag and then just shoot to the other side of the sky. Oh, you've had an interaction for sure. Yeah. So, that's oh cool. my God, no way. That was just too weird. And it, it's the whole thing of like, how do I explain it? There must be something that I could explain it, you know, something scientific, but I just can't. So, yeah. Um, what about yeah. the, what about the paranormal ghosts and, and that sort of thing? You had an experience? Well, um, my mum and sister tell me stories that I was in, involved in some sort of paranormal activity, um, whether I felt it or saw it or, or whether I'm just going by their hype <laughs> is, is another thing. Um, when my father passed away, I guess I, I could relate to that more. Um, I, I felt like he was around. In, in a good way, not in a bad, yeah. spooky way. Um, I can relate to that because my father died years ago as well, so I'm, I think I know exactly what you're saying, yeah. Yeah, it's it's just that feeling, and it's not like I'm seeing anything uh, and I've, I've had, like, some really uh, vivid dreams and and awoken, like, I, I've, I've spoken to him and, and um, I guess it's unnerving but also so... Um, connecting and relaxing at the same time yeah, yeah so i felt like it was him yeah no thanks for sharing that that's a lovely story actually yeah mm. oh, good on you well on that note that's that's it um i've really enjoyed this chat actually i think listeners will get a wonderful insight into a melbourne-based australian musician artist someone actually doing it someone on the floorboard doing it. i'm particularly um you know um it's very interesting to me that you're also a covers musician as well yeah, you know, that you're actually out there doing it in both senses because I think you've got to basically commit wholeheartedly. You know, you basically just got to go for it, and that's the only way it can really be done. Because if you're sort of half in it, yeah, you're not you're going to miss opportunities, and who knows, a wonderful opportunity might come about because there's some sort of a, a manager or an, or a or somebody associated with the industry in the venue at one of your um, covers gigs who might see you and ask you if you do anything else. I mean, we have people come up to us all the time, but we, you know, I think they're just sort of talking and, oh, I used to do this or I used to do that or, you know, this and that. And sometimes they're English or American or what have you. So you're, you're not really sure, you know, you don't That's know right. the background. You, you, you never know. You've got to put yourself out there is what I'm saying. That's right. And, you know, at, even at cover gigs, we're, we're still promoting our original material and selling merch. So, um, I, I think it's a, it's a great way, another way to, to get your, your music out there. Now, just for the listener's perspective, how can they find out about you guys on your Facebook page? And you've obviously got a website, but where are all of the methods of interaction with you? Yeah. Well, definitely our, our website. So shadowqueen.com.au as, as well as the Facebook and, um, check out our gigs. <laughs> I think, <laughs> I think we're, we're, we're great live. I mean, that's where our hearts are. We, we love getting up on stage and, and just jamming it out. So, uh, I, I wish anyone to, to come along and, and experience that with us. Awesome. Well, that's it. Thanks so much again. That was awesome. Really appreciate you answering the questions with such candor and giving us such great insight. I'll, um, what I've got to do is I've got to let it air as a radio. My name is Andrew Mackay-Smith and this is the Scars and Guitars podcast. That was my conversation with Shadow Queen frontwoman and bassist Robbie Zana. Really hope you enjoyed it and thank you so much for listening.